for the past, present, and future of all animals. This is the Zookeeper's Voice with your host, Danny Jirasi. Hello, and welcome to the Zookeeper's Voice. I'm your host, Danny. Today on the Zookeeper's Voice, we have Sarah Smith from San Antonio, Texas. Sarah is a certified behavior consultant, professional dog trainer, and animal rescuer. Sarah works in rescue to help get animals off the streets in Texas, as well as helps to offer behavioral expertise to those who need it for the pets who are already in their own home. Let's take a listen to our chat with Sarah. Today on the line, we have Sarah Smith calling from San Antonio, Texas. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing great, Danny. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I've been following around with all of your rescue efforts for quite a while. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So first off, why don't we go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about all the different titles that you have. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, I am an associate certified dog behavior consultant through the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. I also carry a certification in professional dog training and a certified behavior consultant certification um, through the Certification Council of Professional Dog Trainers. And I'm also a fear-free certified professional. Wow. So tell us a little bit about what a day looks like. How do you use all those titles? Well, I, I work an eight to five job that is not dog related, but between rescue and working with rescue clients and private clients, it's, it's still like having a full-time second job. Uh, you really have to be on call all the time and be available to your clients and to your fosters and rescue folks. So I see a lot of, um, a lot of our rescue calls or reach outs um, come from social media. So I have the ability to have access to my social media. We get a, we have a lot of pages that, that people kind of post on for dogs that are abandoned or they're living on chains or somebody up and moved. And being from San Antonio, it, it's just such a common problem down here. And it's, it's so heartbreaking. And it, it just feels like, you know, we're never going to reach a point where there's not a dog that we need to help. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I've talked about a lot on the show is that I was born and raised in San Antonio. And rescue absolutely never seems to sleep that, you know, there's so many strays, there's so much, um, you know, there's so much help that needs to be happening. And it sounds to me like rescue never sleeps for you. It doesn't. I I use the analogy all the time that it is, I feel like we are emptying the ocean with a teaspoon. It's just, it's never ending. There is, they're just everywhere. People are are not spaying and neutering. They're letting their dogs breed Um, or they're breeding for funding purposes. They are, they want to make a quick buck. And the unfortunate part is statistically most of half of those dogs, half of each litter end up in the shelter And, you know, we're still euthanizing every day. So it really is a full-time job. You just never feel like you're doing enough. And I can, I can definitely relate to that. I don't feel like I'm doing enough, but I also feel that at times I'm killing myself. (laughs) Yeah. So, and the biggest thing that like, when you just said that right now, that I feel, especially from 
you know, like I said, growing up in Texas and San Antonio is that it's like emptying the ocean with a spoon, I believe you said. And a teaspoon, a yeah. teaspoon. But <laughs> one of the things is like it takes so many people to make that difference. And if, you know, many, many, many people are, you know, have each have their own teaspoons we're all making, you guys are all making such a really big difference. And I can see that happening. And even from when I was younger, it seems to be getting better. Would, what, what do you think about that? Um, I think it's getting better to an extent. I think we, I think we yo-yo, uh, the best, the best way that I can keep going though, is to tell myself, you know, we use a lot of analogies in the training world and in the rescue world. And, um, you know, there's a saying out there that says saving one dog will not change the world, but surely for that one dog, the world will change forever. And I truly believe that, you know, I may, my rescue that I work with, it's small, but each dog I know is, I know for sure, you know, we follow up on adoptions and we make sure that everybody is doing fine. And these dogs are getting fantastic homes and they came from the street where, you know, they had mange or some kind of, you know, they're emaciated or they were hurt or, um, you know, it's really painful to see some of the things that human beings do to dogs and do to animals in general. And you don't, you're exposed to a lot of that in rescue that you aren't normally exposed to if you don't participate in this type of thing. It, it can break you, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. And uh, so you see things that you've never seen before and you just can't fathom that human beings can do something like this to living, breathing, sentient beings. But, um, you know, then you see the amazing part, which is things like people who see a dog online and they instantly feel connected to them. And, and it, and it really can be just seeing something in the dog's eyes and then they meet the dog and, or we transport the dog across the country to them. And it's just like, we've been waiting, we've been waiting this whole time for this dog. And it's just, that part is so rewarding. And that part makes all of the ugly things that you see so worth it. Absolutely. And living up here in Massachusetts, one thing that I feel like I found amazing when I moved up here was that there are no strays and I could not fathom living in Texas my whole life, a world with no strays. And so what do you think that cities like San Antonio have to do to kind of become like up here, a world that doesn't have strays? I, you know, I really think there's some positives and negatives to that. So I think that spay neuter really needs to be enforced. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we're talking to our rescue partners up in the North areas, they talk about how that is really, you know, it's really enforced up there. And, and I think that that is one of the biggest, biggest things, um, that we are sorely lacking here is just enforcing spay neuter. And uh, we just don't have the manpower as far as uh, the city shelter and the animal control officers and things of that nature to enforce the number of people that are just not doing the things that they should be doing with their animals. I, I definitely think spay neuter is number one. That needs to be number one. But also the enforcement of some of the laws down here um, dogs running at large, things of that nature, those, those things are not getting enforced. And so there's no penalty 
for when people are doing these things. And so I think that that definitely plays a big role because there's, there's no, there's no punishment. There's no repercussions. They, they can just do it. And the only people or actually the only things that suffer are the dogs in the end. Right. Well, some of those dogs in San Antonio, and I hope more than some, have wonderful homes. And also, any of our listeners all over um, you know, the United States and maybe past that also own dogs. Um, I wanted to touch on training. So what do you find the average person usually has done in terms of training when they own a dog? So um, this fluctuates, and it's it's... We see a lot of a lot of people that, especially when they get a new dog, the first thing they want to do is go take group classes at one of the larger, you know, pet store chains and things of that nature, which is super great. Um, they're really pumped about getting a dog, and they want to do all they want to do right by the dog. And so, um, I really, I really see that as being pretty consistent across the board as doing group classes. Um, I, I do see a lot of people that also watch TV and they kind of are trying to do the things that they've seen on TV. Um, so, so there's that, but, um, but most of the time I would say group classes is the, the biggest, the biggest number one thing that I see down here. Awesome. Now, do you feel like, um, for somebody who adopts a dog, what would you say is their best course of action in terms of training? I think that the best course of action would be to go straight to a trainer and just get some obedience and lay the foundations down. I think that um, some mistakes that sometimes we can make is that we wait until behavior becomes a problem before we address it. And then the owners get frustrated and things of that nature. And so I think that going ahead and, and pulling a trainer in or going to take group classes, and some of the shelters are even offering free classes for their adopters, which is really awesome. Um, so that is definitely an option take advantage of those free classes, grab yourself a trainer, make sure to do your research though. I will tell you that not all trainers are created equally. Um, do your research, look for somebody who is going to use science based methods, uh, with your dog, ask questions, um, ask for references, ask for client reviews and things like that. Um, but definitely take advantage of the free classes because there are a lot of those down here. A lot of the rescues do offer them and a lot of uh, the city shelter actually offers it as well. So that, I think that's really great and a step in the right direction. Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful and so necessary. Now, for dogs that you may have people come in and say that they're, quote unquote, already good dogs, um, how can <laughs> an already good dog benefit from training? So one of the things that you'll hear me talk about a lot is what I call a dog's emotional cup. And a dog's and what that means is every dog has a cup that needs to be filled with like social connection, security, access to reinforcers, enrichment. Um, and some of the annoying things that the dogs do are completely normal, like digging and chasing cats and barking at the mailman. Um, but all of these dogs show signs of stress when their cups get near empty. And so training is a great option to, um, to help dogs with enrichment, um, being included in the family, the freedom to make choices. A lot of the training I do, I, I talk about making choices. We want the dogs to make choices. This increases confidence 
and it just overall gives you a better relationship with your dog. So, you know, one of the things that most people don't know is that your dog is always learning. So they're always watching you. Your dog is reacting based on its history of learning and reinforcement. And so sometimes we accidentally teach our dogs to do things that maybe we don't want them to do, like they're jumping up on us and we go to give them some love. Now, if you're totally fine with that as a dog owner, that's that's all you. But some people don't understand that what you're doing is actually reinforcing problem behavior if that's not what you're looking for. So I always tell people that, you know, the benefits of training just improve the relationship and the language of communication between you and your dog. It teaches life skills, it increases sociability, and it helps avoid problem behaviors in the future, keeping that emotional cup full. Wonderful. Now, one question that I have that you may be able to answer, um, I've heard people say, my dog is three years old, my dog is four years old are they too old to learn things? So are you saying an old dog can learn new tricks? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is never, it is never too late to start teaching your dog. It is never, never, never too late because our dogs don't come to us knowing English, right? Right. So it's our job to teach them, Hey, this word means this. And, you know, primary reinforcers like food, the things that motivate them, um, you know, those are the things that are, that are going to get a dog to, it, they're all trainable. They are motivated by their own, um, you know, primary motivations are food, water, reproduction, you know, all that stuff. So we can take those primary reinforcers and teach them what we want them to do instead. So it is never too late to teach your dog. Absolutely not. I think that's such an important message because so many people own dogs and, as they get older, they think that they can't train them. And I love that, you know, that message that it's never too late to be able to teach our animals. It is never too late. They want to learn. They want to learn. They want to please us. Um, and then they're not machines and they're not robots, you know, so they don't come pre-programmed and everything that, you know, their behaviors are inherent and they're learned, but we can teach them new things. We can teach them behaviors to do in place of behaviors we don't particularly care for. Um, but they are always learning. They are learning up until, you know, any age. There's no, it's never too late to train. They are always learning each and every day, even when you don't think they are. Absolutely. Now, um, for a behavior consultant like yourself, what is something that you might like our listeners to understand about dog behavior as an owner? So I would say one of my biggest things to talk about is puppy socialization. So I was going to throw that out there and I'm going to blow everybody's mind with some things that I have to say. Sure. <laughs> Let's hear um, it. <laughs> so one of the biggest things that I would say is get your puppy. If you have a puppy, get it out. The first three months of life are critical. Get it out into puppy socialization classes. And so... Um, a lot of times your veterinarian professional is going to tell you, you know, you need three rounds of shots to take your puppy to puppy class and get them out. Um, I'm going to blow your mind and tell you that that is false. Um, according to the Veterinarian Society of Animal Behavior, you can take your puppy out to puppy class starting as early as seven to eight weeks old. So you want to have your first set of shots on board for at least seven days prior and have a deworming done. But I think that as a dog owner, um, 
it's really important to get these dogs, these puppies exposed to as many new people and animals and stimuli, new environments as they can. Um, obviously without being overstimulated and, or, you know, excessively fearful or anything like that. But, um, it's super important because the first three months are a period when sociability outweighs the fear. And so it's an opportunity for puppies to meet new people and all of the new things, experience all of the new things. And we want to make sure that they have a positive, positive association to that, um, And during this time, it's important because if they don't get these exposures, it can increase behavior problems later on in life. And so we run into kind of a crossroads because you have your vet saying, no, you need three sets of shots. And then you have us behavior professionals saying, no, get out there and get your puppy socialized because this is your critical development stage time frame. And, um, and so people don't know what to do, but One of the things as far as research has shown is that behavioral issues and not infectious diseases are the number one cause of death for dogs under the age of three years old. Wow. So so while puppies' immune systems are still developing during those first three months, um, it's really also a very critical development stage behaviorally for the dog. So, you know, behavior problems are also the greatest threat to dog owners as far as relinquishing to shelters. So that's the number one reason that dogs are ending up in the shelter as well. Absolutely. So now, if that was one of the things, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, one of the things that I was under the impression of, and maybe I'm incorrect, but you may know this, is do puppies actually get protection in terms of like their antibodies from their from the mother you know like do they get protection in usually in some form from the mother and then the their vaccinations just help to build off of that correct so in those early months the combination of the maternal immunity and the primary vaccination um makes it appropriate care so that the risk is uh relatively small so yeah you're right on that wonderful well So we're talking about our young puppies. What uh, do you feel like it would be important for the owners of older dogs to know in terms of like what to pay attention to? What would you, what kind of advice would you give somebody who walked up to you and said, I have a yay many years old dog. What kind of advice can you give them? I would just say that pay attention to what your dog is telling you. Pay attention to body language. Pay attention to the things that your dog is telling you because they are trying to communicate with us all the time. So one of the biggest issues that I see is that a lot of times people will not see that their dog is not feeling comfortable in a scenario or a certain situation. And so we run into challenges because there's a, there's a common misconception that dogs just need to get out there and they need to get used to it. Well, that's not entirely true. (laughs) And so And the reason that I say that is I, when we're talking about dogs facing their fears and even older dogs can develop fear related issues, you know, the unfortunate thing with dogs and, and there is, there is a positive, but the unfortunate thing is that it only takes one time and one poor experience to create a negative association, um, with something, someone, another animal, that sort of thing. Uh, the follow-up is that we can help as far as us being, you know, trainers and behavior consultants, we can help, um, in situations like that. 
But sometimes if they are continuously exposed when they are trying to tell us they don't want to be, that can actually make the situation worse. So really listen to your dog when they're trying to communicate with you would be the best advice that I can give to a dog owner. I think that's wonderful advice because a lot of us get so caught up in our daily lives. You know, we forget that what are our dogs doing? They're at home waiting for us to come home. And, you know, we need to pay attention to those day-to-day signs and what they're trying to tell us when they can't even speak English. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we have our lives. We have people in our lives. We have work. We have things that we do. But our dogs, we are their lives. Absolutely. That we are what they have. Absolutely. And I I love that. Um, I love that, you know, that you're saying that because I think a lot of times we forget that because sometimes our plates feel very full. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, in terms of rescue, can you tell me a little bit about how um, consulting on behavior helps in rescue overall? Oh, my gosh. I've got so many things. Uh, (laughs) So um, the good and the bad, again, I'll give you the good and the bad. Um, Here, there is such an influx of dogs that sometimes training and behavior can be an afterthought. Um, and that's where I come in. Um, my message is really to try to push out there that training, training and behavior is so important because of the reason that we just talked about behavioral problems is the number one reason why dogs are relinquished to the shelter. And so I'm out there trying to educate, um, the city shelter. Now they've come the city shelter and the local rescues. They have come light years as far as before they didn't have any kind of behavior training or anything type programs. And now they are doing training classes for adopters and things of that nature. Um, but in terms of what I do and what my rescue does, we focus on things like low, low cost training classes. So we have a donation based class where uh, we can work with the community, we work with the rescue community, but our goal is to provide quality training for people that may not be able to pay high dollar for quality training. And um, our mission is really to keep dogs out of the shelter and in their homes because prevention is key. So if we can prevent the dog from even hitting the shelter, then that makes everybody's rescue, you know, the rescues, That's just one less dog that they have to worry about saving. So, um, so our low cost training classes and the great thing about our class and why it's unique is that we can take dogs in most group classes will not do this. We can take dogs in that have some behavior challenges. Obviously we don't take the crazy, super aggressive, super fearful dog just because that's not an appropriate environment, but we have enough control over the environment that we can take the dogs that have some challenges. We have multiple trainers in class that they're almost getting one-on-one training um, per student. So, and all of these guys are, are skilled and they give quality training and they're volunteering their time, which is really great. And so people that, you know, can't exactly pay for behavioral training, you know, the stuff that the problematic behaviors that they're really having challenges with, you know, they can come to class and we can evaluate and kind of give them a plan or uh, things to work on to kind of ease them 
you know, ease it a little bit for them, give them management solutions and things of that nature. And so that's, that's really one of my favorite things that we do. But then I also offer evaluations for other rescue groups. So if they're looking at a dog at the city shelter and the city shelter just doesn't have time to assess the dog, I will go out and do the best assessment that I can. Obviously it's just a snapshot of behavior and we all know that the environment plays a role, but I will go out and uh, do an assessment um, with myself and then I will take a, a dog out. I have a couple of dogs that are pretty, pretty solid and we'll do a dog test. And, uh, so I offer that as options for rescues that are concerned about pulling a dog or, uh, the city shelter has maybe given them a bad, a bad assessment or a poor assessment. And so I can go out there and, and say, well, no, <laughs> I think this is happening because the dog is pretty fearful or, or something of that nature. Um, so those are the two big ones that that we primarily work on. But those are, you know, rescue work is my passion. So doing the shelter assessments and the shelter evaluations, that's that's where my heart is. So that's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> awesome. And I think it's so important, especially just from where rescue is coming, that we continue to head in the direction that you're talking about. Yes. So yes, for sure. Now, one last thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I think a lot of pet owners probably have never heard about this, is um, there's something called fear free. And a lot of people who don't work maybe necessarily like with specifically with animals have never heard about this. Can you tell us a little bit about fear free and what that is? Sure. So I am a fear free certified professional. Um, the Fear Free Initiative or the movement, um, the mission is to prevent and alleviate fear, anxiety, and stress in pets by inspiring and educating the people who care for them. Um, so the the two big certifications right now are in, in the veterinarian field. Um, obviously, going to the vet can be a very scary thing for dogs and cats. Um, it, it does address both. And, um, and then of course you have the trainers and the groomers on the other end. So we are all working together, kind of collaborating to make sure that we are, are treating the animals, um, in as little stress as possible because there, and there's so many reasons why one of which is people sometimes will not take their dogs or cats to the vet because the amount of stress on the animal is, hard for them to watch. It's embarrassing for them to maybe take their dog to the vet and their dog's freaking out in the middle of the lobby or, um, things like that. Um, the, another motto that they have is the veterinary healthcare professionals take the pet out of petrified and put the treat into treatment. <laughs> and so we really kind of want to set the dog up for success when they're going to the vets and make it fun and make it, um, you know, we obviously work really hard to have the pet participate in some of the, um, you know, maybe not so fun things that they're having to do at the vet's office. And then if we can't reach that level, then we obviously work to get the dog to um, make it as stress-free and, and easy as possible for them to kind of just get through it. Whereas, you know, before we've, we've seen a lot of force and a lot of things that would scare the dog. You know, if you're forcing the dog to 
get fluid flushed into its ears. And then that just creates a poor association to getting fluid put into its ears. Now that's not really ever really a pleasant type of thing, but we can make it easier for them by, you know, allowing them to participate, give us the ear, you know, and that of course training is involved in that. So we work on, on just handling and things of that nature and making them feel good about it. You know, if we can teach a hyena to offer their jugular to have blood drawn, we can clearly do that with our, with our pet dogs and cats as well. Absolutely. Now, (laughs) um, if somebody is listening and they're like, wow, my dog is, or cat is afraid, um, or, you know, they're relating to something that you're saying in terms of fear free and they would like to, have their animal participate in that? Is there a way that they can find like a vet that is certified in that or how can, how can they bring that into their animals lives? Yes. So the fear free website is fearfreepets.com. And on the website, they have the veterinary professionals and trainers and the the folks that are certified. Uh, You can go on there and look them up. And so you can choose a vet. You can some of some of the actual full vet practices. Not every not every practice is fear free certified. You'll have some practices with vets in there, and the veterinarians are certified. Um, but the website holds. All you have to do is put in your zip code, zip code, and they will tell you. You know, this is where you can go. Um, it also has the opportunity for you to take any courses that you would like to. I mean, there's a fee, obviously, but you can read up about some of the courses and how to make it less stressful for your pet to go to the vet. Um, and you can also look up trainers and groomers that are certified as well. Wonderful. Now, as we're coming to a close, Sarah, can you tell our listeners how they can follow along and support your cause in rescue? Sure. They can follow us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Mission Miracle Canine Rescue, Inc., and it is www.facebook.com backslash Miracle Canine. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Zookeeper's Voice today, Sarah. We loved having you on. Thank you for having me. I'm honored that you guys asked me to do this. I know we just ended our interview with Sarah and she said that she was honored to do this, but it was an honor to have her on the show. Yeah, she did great. I loved uh, talking to people first off in San Antonio, but also in dog rescue. That's so close to our own hearts. It's almost like you like San Antonio a whole lot. I love you, San Antonio, and I miss you. You wish there was a uh, a never-ending story in San Antonio? <laughs> I do. I would do. You going to sing for us? No, I am not. Okay. We're referencing the scene from Stranger Things, if you haven't seen it yet. I'm not going to tell you what that context is, but definitely watch it if you're a fan. And maybe Danny will sing it to you. Maybe. Maybe we will uh, We'll have to see if you guys can convince me to at some point. But not today. I'll do the convincing. But you'll do the convincing? Yeah, it's an ultimatum. <laughs> oh. okay. If you don't sing, the show is done. Never ending story. <laughs> well, Killed speaking it. of that, I know, wasn't it lovely? Oh, yeah. Well, I loved having Sarah on because, first off, um, almost everyone has a dog in their home. For sure. And I think that all of the wonderful expertise that she brought to the table, 
that everyone who listens who has a dog in their home or even knows somebody who has a dog in their home can really learn something from what she said. Yeah, she was a very brilliant mind. And and all the, the certifications that she has that she was talking about at the beginning of the interview, it's a really impressive career she's had so far. And, you know, she's just full of knowledge. And I'm so glad that she was able to come on and talk to us about it. Absolutely. And I think that one thing that it probably feels like when she is working in rescue is that she, like she said, she's like emptying the ocean with a teaspoon. Yeah, yeah. That was a really interesting analogy. Yeah. But like mind-blowingly like perfect. Yeah, it, it's because rescue is, you know, it, I, I'm sure that it seems like for every dog you get off the street, you there are 10 more that right. appear. And, you know, like I, I've referenced growing up in San Antonio, I mean, it used to, it's still not, great but i mean it used to be like really really bad and i think that all of the work that you know sarah and the rescue group that she works with that their mission is so so important and that you know people who live up here can't even imagine living in a place where stray dogs just are no everywhere that was unheard of for me when you used to say that like You'd be on a walk and and just three random dogs just walking down the street coming at Simba. And I'm just like, that is so nuts. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Well, and you've seen me just react to a dog barking. Right, like right. It's, it, it triggers you. Yeah, it triggers me because I've had bad experiences. But the thing is, you know, I think that people like Sarah are working for, you know, the past animals that they weren't able to save or that they have saved the present because a lot of animals need their help and the future to, you know, not ever have to euthanize animals unnecessarily. And I think that, you know, having her come on the zookeeper's voice and hear that, I really hope that people, you know, learned and that they assess what they're doing with their own dogs. Because as she said... Old dogs can learn new tricks. I know. She blew my mind when she said that. <laughs> yeah. I've been taught all my life that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And yeah. then all of a sudden, Sarah Smith comes on and, and blows my mind out with this knowledge. Well, here's the thing. That may be a saying, but we had a behavioral expert come on. So yeah. you have been taught mm-hmm. differently. I have. And I have been incorrect my entire life. <laughs> Well, we loved having Sarah on and we look forward to hearing from her and her mission in the future. For sure. But for those of you who are listening, please rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. And be sure to stay up to date with all the happenings here at The Zookeeper's Voice on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and thezookeepersvoice.com. For the past, present, and future of all animals... This has been The Zookeeper's Voice. We'll see you next time.